1 Peter chapter 1, and I've enjoyed this study so far. I'm praying that as we continue on Sunday evenings, we take this journey studying the church and what it means to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says that he loved the church and he gave himself for it. And I'm, I'm thankful that I'm a part of the true church the church that began with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're able to tonight, let's stand for the reading of the Word of God out of respect, and we're going to read the first nine verses of chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter number 1, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, Ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, Yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. What a packed portion of Scripture. And let's pray and we'll get into this tonight, studying the receiving end of your faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the church. Thank you so much for your dear Son. And Lord, as we have exercised our faith in this matter of salvation, Lord, I pray that we would understand how important it is that we would believe everything that you have said in your word. Now, Lord, I pray, especially in this area of knowing the church, understanding the church, Lord, some of the promises that we have from the word of God, may you bless tonight. Lord, may your Holy Spirit, give us understanding. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated tonight. We studied last week the church as identified in the Bible. The word that the Word of God uses is the word ecclesia, a called out assembly. A church is a bound together group of people that are bound together by a set of beliefs. Uh, many times you think about how people have different kind of beliefs, but listen, a church is a body of believers that have a real faith 
in the doctrine, the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not what man believes, what man teaches, rather it is the doctrine of the Lord that we adhere to. And if there is not a real faith in doctrine, then there is not a real church. And we want to be men and women who are believers in the doctrine, the teaching of the Word of God. And that's why, as Peter was writing here in what we often refer to as this epistle known as 1 Peter, it was written by Peter to churches that were in an area at that time known as Asia Minor. This letter that God allowed him to pen was a cyclical letter that went from one church to the next to the next. In other words, what Peter wrote wasn't just for one specific church. It even applies to our church today. These churches that this letter made it to during this time were churches that were probably comprised of those that had been scattered about through the region. Many of those churches were started or planted by Christians that had been displaced by the persecution that had been taking effect against the church. You study in the Word of God over in Acts chapter number 8, the Bible says, and you're probably familiar with this, Saul, who, was, who became Paul, but Saul of Tarsus was consenting unto his death, talking about Stephen, and at that time there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered. Now think about that. That's talking about the Christians because Jerusalem, the gospel, began there in Jerusalem and it began to spread out in ever-widening circles from the city of Jerusalem. But the Bible says that that is where the persecution began. It began against the saints of God and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. But the Bible says that it was the people of God, the believers, that were scattered because it says, except the apostles. The apostles stayed there in Jerusalem, but it was the people of God, just like all of us here tonight, that went in the regions beyond Judea, Samaria, and even at their time, the uttermost parts, to reach those people. Now, the Bible says, therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Now think about that. They're running for their lives. The persecution, many of them had, had been killed, martyred for their faith, but everywhere they went, they didn't go hide. They went and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. They carried the message of God with them everywhere they went. And so these churches that Peter is writing to, many of these churches didn't have a building. Now, we know that a church is not a building. Uh, they met in houses. They met in, uh, out in the open. They met wherever they could meet, but nonetheless, they met. Now, certainly, we find even in, in the passage and around the passage, and today, there's a lot of false teaching that takes place. But understand that these Christians, these believers that went everywhere preaching the Lord Jesus Christ, they were not spreading false doctrine but yet today, false religions and teachings that are false, here's what happens is, as they're propagating those, they bring about doubts and confusion. But yet, 
real faith, the faith that they knew, is founded on the Lord Jesus Christ himself. They had a real faith. But folks, listen, if it wouldn't have been real, then they wouldn't have gone everywhere preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. But it was real to them. And I hope in your life, and I believe it is true, that your faith in God is real. That your faith in the Word of God is real. If you ask today an agnostic or an atheist, or even an unsaved religious person, you ask them, do you know there is a God? And do you know for sure that you're going to heaven someday? If you ask this question or these questions, the agnostic would tell you that he can't know that. If you ask those questions to the atheist, he will tell you that he knows one thing, and that is that there is no God. If you ask the unsaved religious man, he will tell you that he can't be positive or that he's not sure that there really is a literal heaven and a literal hell or that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was truly a literal historical event. It's sad today how so many people are led astray and away from the truth, but yet there are many false teachers just like in the early first century of the church. See, real faith in Scripture is what we're talking about tonight. Real faith in what thus saith the Lord. That's, that's what we need to come back to because real faith in the Word of God provides hope. Real faith in the Word of God provides encouragement. Real faith in the Word of God provides for us stability. It makes a real difference in our lives. How many of you have seen and felt and know of the real difference God's Word has made in your life? Folks, listen, if we spend any amount of time in the Bible, it will impact our lives. It will influence us. It will encourage us. It will stabilize our lives. And so from the pen of Peter tonight, I want you and I to discover what real faith provides. I'm talking about a faith, like I mentioned this morning, from Hebrews chapter number 11, that those individuals were identified as men and women of faith, who by faith, they lived their lives. Their faith was a real faith. And I want you to see, first of all tonight, real faith promises hope. Our hope as Bible-believing Christians is a living breathing hope. You know why I say it that way? Because our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is alive today, unlike the religions of the world that were founded by a man who is uh, who has left this world and his eternity it had already been settled, whether or not he was saved or not. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. He is alive forevermore, and our hope is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look in the passage tonight, verse number 5. Look what it says. Who are kept by the power of God, notice these words, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is foundational 
in our faith. Our salvation could not be possible if it were not for the finished work, the cross work of Jesus Christ. If Jesus would have come to this earth and had not gone to Calvary, then it wouldn't have been enough. He was the satisfaction of God, the propitiation of God. Jesus had to die on the cross for our sins. Why do you think the devil tried to stop him short of the cross? You know, it, listen, there were times where the devil tempted the Lord because he knew why Jesus came to this earth, what he was about. He was about doing the will of him that sent him. And it's important that you and I understand this matter of our faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look in your notes there, a couple verses out of a tremendous chapter in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15. The Bible says in verse 13, But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. If in this life only, now here's what I just mentioned, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, and by the way, he is our hope, but again, what, what Paul is writing here is he's saying, look, if Jesus would have just come and not died on the cross, it would have been a different story, but look what he goes on to say, we are of, of, of all men most miserable, but now in Christ is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that sleep. You see, our hope tonight, brothers and sisters in Christ, is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Unsaved people, the hope that they have is a dying hope. But for the Bible believer tonight, God's people, our hope is alive. It's alive. Look, look, first of all, this hope that I'm talking about tonight, it is something that is based on the witness of the apostles. I want you to again see, because we're talking about the church, when, when we study the Word of God and we see the, the beginning of the church, I believe, as I mentioned last week, that Jesus, Matthew 4, a couple other places, that he began to call out his, his apostles, his disciples. He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I believe that Jesus was, the, the, so to speak, the pastor of those individuals that began to follow him. They were men that were saved by the grace of God, just like you and I are saved. And as Jesus began to call them out, they began to spend time with him. They began to see the miracles that he did. Remember what he did? He trained them, and then he sent them out to do his work. By the way, that's what he wants us to do is to be sent out, go ye into all the world. And remember how the disciples would come back and they would give a report to the Lord and they, they would say things like, but Lord, why couldn't we? You know, how come it was this way? Remember when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration and they were, there was this, this stirring going on at the foot of the mountain, you know, and again, it was one of those situations where he was trying to teach his disciples Remember the time that he fed 4,000 and the time that he fed 5,000? And he was trying to teach them that he was all sufficient, that he could meet every need. It didn't matter how big the crowd was, that he could meet each need individually. There were many things that he was teaching them. Why? 
because they were going to become the very witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You see, I see that the hope that we have is it is based on the witness of the apostles. We have these eyewitnesses accounts that actually saw Jesus. Listen now, they saw him after his resurrection. Look what the Bible says in Acts chapter 1 in your notes. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion. That's a reference to the crucifixion. After his passion by many, what kind of proofs? Infallible. Look, he left no doubt that he had risen as he said. Remember what he told him? He says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up again. And they thought to themselves, that's impossible. All those years it took to build, they were thinking about that building, those stones that had been set up. Jesus, the Bible actually says, this spake he of his body. He wasn't talking about a building. He was talking about how that he would rise. And the Bible says that when he, he, he showed himself by many infallible proofs, he was seen of them for 40 days, not one day, not one week, 40 days he was seen of them. And while he was with them, the Bible says he was speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. That means that there were still some things that the Lord wanted to share with him before he ascended to be with the Father. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 6, he was seen of Cephas. Anybody know who Cephas is? Peter. He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above or more than 500 brethren at one time. The Bible says here, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. I mean, there was no doubt. There were so many people that saw the risen Savior, and many of those very same people were the ones that stood at Calvary and looked at him as he hung there on the cross and heard him utter those words, it is finished. Some of those people were the ones that witnessed as the soldier took the spear and pierced his side. They were the ones that witnessed as the Bible says, as he gave up, the ghost, as life left his body. His death, can I tell you, was not a hoax. This wasn't a fable. It was something that witnessed. And the reason that we know this is because when you study the life of those apostles, those witnesses, those that spent time with him, those whose lives had been changed for all of eternity, there is a noticeable difference in their lives after this point, after they witnessed the Lord. I mean, you think of so many of them. Peter is one that I always think about, how that he saw the Lord, changed everything. I mean, no doubt Peter's mind and his thoughts went back to when he denied the Lord. But listen, now he's seen the Lord risen, and he, he saw the Lord coming to them and sharing things with them in that 40 days. And because of what they witnessed, this small band of, I think, just seemingly 
insignificant believers. Somehow this small group of people, according to Acts 17, seem to turn their known world upside down. This great empire, the Roman Empire, they made such a difference for Christ. Look, many of them endured persecution personally for what they believed. The impact of Christ's resurrection on their lives, folks, it was real. Look what Peter says in 2 Peter 1.16, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. I mean, folks, listen, I... Uh, it would have been it would have just would have been an amazing thing to spend time with the lord but can i tell you what would have been even more amazing than that is to spend time with the risen savior the one who gave his life for them and listen this hope that we have because of the faith that we have in the word of god this hope is something that is based on the witness of the apostles, but also it is based on the Word of God. Listen, I'll tell you, God has given us His Word, and we need to study it, we need to read it. But even though we, we think today the, the witness of those apostles, those eyewitnesses, listen, they are dead and gone. But you know what God has done is God's Word abideth forever. Uh, Peter's not here today. John's not here today. The apostles are no longer with us. There is no apostolic succession. But listen, God has preserved his word to our generation. And as we study the word of God, Peter says we have a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Folks, why do we make such a premium out of the Word of God? Because everything in this world eventually will decay and be gone. But according to the Word of God, God's Word is incorruptible. It is eternally something that will endure. Peter says, being born again, not by corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth for how long? Forever. See, the Bible says all grass, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel, there it is again, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what is preached unto you. The incorruptible word of God testifies of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of the word of God, and because God's word is unchanging, just like our God is unchanging, you know what the word of God does? It provides real hope for us. Folks, every time I read the word of God, those false religions that cause confusion and doubt, God's word helps me. It helps my faith to stay real. It gives me real hope that binds not only me, but us as believers together. See, real faith is something that promises hope. Aren't you glad for the hope that we have tonight? And the hope is not in the Pope. The hope is in Jesus Christ. You see, we have a risen Savior. Real faith provides hope. But secondly, look at this. Real faith promises heaven. It promises heaven. There's a lot of religions today that 
that say they believe in heaven. But can I tell you, listen, those man-made religions, they can't promise heaven. There's a lot of times that people will make promises that they cannot keep. They cannot back up. But can I tell you that real faith in God, real faith in the Word of God, that we can take it to the bank, that real faith promises that there will be a heaven. There's no hope in religion. The only hope, again, that we have is in Jesus himself. And when Peter wrote, he wrote to these believers that as it went from church to church, he wrote regarding heaven. Look back in verse number four of our passage tonight. The Bible says, to an inheritance incorruptible. Aren't you glad for that? I'm not going to have to take my hammer and tool belt to heaven. Right, Brother Tim? Praise the Lord, I'll never have to fix one thing in heaven. No plumbing leaks in heaven. No electrical fires in heaven. The Bible says here it is an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. And look at this next phrase, that fadeth not away. I mean, the Bible says reserved in heaven for you. Simple question tonight. Do you have your reservation? I hope you do. And remember, that reservation wasn't made by you. It was made by God when he saved you. See, that's what we're talking about tonight is that as Peter was writing, here's what he's telling them, that heaven is a real place. It's a real place. I mean, Peter uses phrases here to describe. He talks about an inherited property. That's something that is tangible. It is something that, that has been received. Remember what Jesus said in John 14 before he went to the cross? He said this, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, where do you think that is? Heaven. He says, in my Father's house, where my dad lives, he says, there are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will, I will, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am. Where's Jesus today? He's in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father, right? And I'm going to tell you something. I don't care what uh, the skeptics say today. Heaven is a real place. There's a literal heaven today, and according to the Word of God, that's where Jesus is. And the Bible says that if I am His, and I am in Christ, that where He is, that someday I'll be there with Him. And listen, folks, we can't escape all the corruption in this world, all that goes on in this planet. But listen, in heaven, everything is incorruptible. According to the Word of God, look at Romans 8. For the creature was made subject to vanity. That's what we are. We were made subject unto vanity, not willing, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also being delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. You know what's going to happen, folks? Someday when we get to heaven, we're going to be liberated from this body of sin. 
God's going to release us from it. It kind of reminds me about this couple that uh, they went to heaven, they, they, they passed away in a car accident, and you know how they usually tell these stories, and I guess for the sake of story, they get to the gate and there's Peter. I don't know why it's Peter, but he's there. And they get there and, and Peter greets them, hey, listen, I'm glad you made it safe, and come on inside, want to show you some wonderful things, and takes them in, begins to show them around, and takes them to this banquet hall, and they go in there, and there's this huge table, and there's all this food set up on this table, and I mean, his wife and him, their jaws are hanging down, they're looking at all this food going, whoa, that's a banquet, oh, that, that's like a meal for a king right there, and they're like, this is something else. And he says, oh, listen, if you think this is something, he says, come on, let me show you something else. And he takes them along, and they get down, they go outside, they go to this beautiful place, and Peter shows him this just pristine, never seen anything like it on the earth, shows him this golf course. And the, the husband looks at that golf course. I mean, he, she almost had to pick him up off the ground. He's looking at that, and he's looking over at Peter. He says, what a, what a course. It's unbelievable. And then he looks over at his wife, and he says to his wife, he says, you know, if it wasn't for those brand muffins you made, we could have been here a long time ago. <laughs> Folks, listen, heaven is a real place. Life that we have is a gift from God. But God, look, no, no matter how good life is, can I tell you that when you get to heaven someday, when you spend all eternity with the Lord, you won't miss one thing back here. Because heaven's going to be a wonderful place. Look at Revelation 21, verse 27. There shall in no wise enter in anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written, where? In the Lamb's book of life. See, heaven's going to be a wonderful place. You know why? Because it's perfect. There's no decay, no defilement, no corruption at all. And listen, if you think that's good, it gets better. Because the Bible said, Peter writes in verse 4, that it fadeth not away. You know what that means? Heaven is forever. This life, 40, 50, 60, 80, 100 years, that's just a smidgen of the eternity that you will spend with the Lord. You see, he says it fadeth not away. Heaven is a perpetual it's a never-ending joy and Peter writes here and says listen heaven is a real place but then he says it's also a reserved place reserved in heaven for you and listen that heaven that reservation can only be made when you when you when you exercise real faith in Jesus Christ the Bible says in Colossians 1 and verse 3 we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in what? Christ Jesus. And of the love that you have to all the saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Where have ye heard before the word of the truth of the gospel? Look, no church, no deeds, no prayers, no offering will gain you entrance into heaven. The only way to go to heaven, Jesus said, is I am the way. The truth and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Our salvation, listen, when you got saved, was not dependent on our works, what we could do, our abilities. Can I tell you, 
that our eternal security, along with our salvation, is not dependent on us. It's dependent on the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It is attached to the power of God. God can save us, and God can keep us until that day. Look at Paul writes to Timothy, For which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, he says, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believe. Do you know whom you believe tonight, who you're trusting in? Look, I'm not trusting in some denomination. I'm trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he, the one that I believed in, that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Thank the Lord for his steadfast love towards us. Thank the Lord for his unwavering power in our lives. It's like the young man and he uh, decided that he was going to go take a photograph of his girlfriend that he had such fond feelings for and he, he found a photographer and he went and he took the photo and he, he got there and he said to the man, he says, listen, I, I want to get a, a, a duplicate of this photograph can you do that? And the man says, well, sure I can. And he, he took the photograph from the young man, and he was getting ready to take it over to his machine to make a copy of it. And as he did, he noticed something on the back of it. He flipped it over, and there was some writing on the back of it. And the young lady that was his girlfriend, she had written some stuff on the back. And here's what she wrote to her lover. She said, my dearest Tom, I love you with all my heart. I love you more and more each day. I will love you forever and ever. And I am yours for all of eternity. And as she wrote that, it was just simply signed, Love, Susan. But underneath of that was a P.S. And the P.S. said, if we ever break up, I want this picture back. <laughs> now that photographer looked at that and he thought to himself, you know, it sounded great, but just like so many of us, our love for each other and sometimes for God is so fickle. But can I tell you that God's love is eternal? I mean, you think about all that God puts up with and is long-suffering towards us, and yet His love is unconditional towards us. God would never leave us nor forsake us. See, real faith provides this matter of heaven. It provides hope. Notice thirdly tonight, real faith promises help. Anybody in here ever needed help? <laughs> See, real faith, you know what I love about it is? It's practical. Real faith is something that helps us. You know why? Because it is something that is fixed on God. Go back to verse 6 of our passage tonight. The Bible says in verse 6, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your what? Your faith. He says the trial of it being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. See, he's talking about the, that faith promises hope. Even hope, look at this, in 
help for us in turbulent times because all of us go through seasons. And notice the wording here, manifold temptations. That, that's not just a one-time thing. You know, I, I asked uh, Brother Tim, we've been praying for him and many others. I asked Brother Tim, how's your week? And he's, you know, he's like, you know, he wasn't going to complain. He's like, it was all right. And I said to him, I said, uh, I said well, it just seems like uh, maybe, maybe this uh, condition in your life, I said, I don't know, maybe it's just, uh, maybe it's your thorn like Paul had. And Brother Tim just kind of, well, it might be, I don't know. But you know, sometimes we have things in our lives, and as we're going through those, we need help. Why? Because these situations, these manifold temptations, you know, they always say that things come in threes. You ever heard that? You know, it seems like it's never just one thing. It's many things. Sometimes you got things coming from you at all sides, and you're, you're like, I, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to sustain this. And these heavy things, they, they, they put loads on us, on our shoulders. But look what Paul writes to those in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 4. Look how he, this isn't Paul's words, this is God's word. And it calls it our light affliction. I mean, sometimes you almost want to say, God, don't you really know what I'm going through? Yeah, the Lord knows what you're going through. I read verses like this, and I think of men like our dear brother, Brother Ken Mercer. Personally, I'd never call what he's going through a light affliction. But according to the Word of God, that's what God refers to it as, and it says that for our light affliction, which is but for a what? moment. But watch this, it worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, see that, that's all we see when we're going through it, right? All the manifold, all the things on us, all, all the things that we're going through. Listen, he says here, we, those are the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are what? Eternal. Folks, God's working in our lives. I, I, I think most Christians, and myself included sometimes, really don't understand Romans 8, 28. Because all things do work together for good to them that love God. To them that are the called. Folks, we have to see that so many times in our lives, these burdens that we place so much focus on, can I tell you, and I don't think I'm reading into the scriptures, they're only temporary assignments. They're just for a moment. Now that moment might be a couple years, it might be longer than that, but according to the word of God, in heaven someday, I believe, we're going to thank God for those things that he brought into our lives, that he allowed into our lives, that although now we don't look at them this way, but someday we might look back and say, thank God for those blessings. I think about people like Helen Keller that went through what she went through and the atrocities that she went through. And, and, and I think of Fanny Crosby and other people that went through some very tragic things in their lives. And they learned to thank God. Did you hear the Smiths this morning? Thanking God 
for what they're going through. God is working, and Marie said, I just want to thank God. Hey, listen, she's learned to thank God in this life, not someday in eternity. She's thanking God now, and the Bible says in Romans 8, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Many Christians learn more, I think, about the Lord going through those trials, those manifold temptations, than they could ever learn sitting for six months listening preaching. Because you know what those trials and temptations do? They bring us closer to the Lord. We learn more about Him, what He wants for our lives. Trials are not meant to destroy us. Trials are meant to strengthen us. You see, I see real faith promises help, help in turbulent times. But look at this, also help in trying times. Peter compares those trying times in our lives to this purification process of gold. Listen, gold, even though as precious as it is, it's something according to the word of God that's going to perish. Think about this, what is so precious down here on earth is just pavement in heaven. God says, you're just going to walk on that stuff up here. Every time I think about that, I think, you know, sometimes I walk outside and I see the asphalt on our parking lot. Can you imagine what the community would think if we paved our parking lot with gold? It'd be like, those Baptists have lost it. I mean, while we weren't here late at night, there would be people that would come and scrape our parking lot. But listen, even gold. He says it perisheth. Peter's comparing the trying that even though we be tried with fire, just like that gold, that metal, even though it's precious, that when it's put to the fire, it begins to melt down. Look, later on, just like that gold, where you get all the dross off of it, you get all the impurities out of it, God says one day what we've gone through, it will be unto the praise and the honor and the glory of Almighty God. That God gets the glory out of it. That's what we need to make sure that our lives are bringing great glory to the Lord. Job was one that I think about, every time I think about being tried. I mean, God, God uh, provided such a sketch of Job's life. And one of the verses that's always got me is verse uh, 10 of chapter 23, where Job testifies and says, He knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He says, look, I don't, I don't really understand all that God's doing in my life, but you know what I think Job clung on to, even though he didn't have the complete word of God? Was this thought from Hebrews 13, he has said, I will never leave thee. When you're going through that process, I'm not going to leave you. Remember the three boys thrown into the, the fire, the three Hebrew boys? He was right there with them. Matter of fact, he was in the fire with them. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Folks, listen, I hope you understand the word of God tonight, this matter of real faith as a church, as a Bible-believing Christian, that all things do work together. Real faith promises real help during times of trial. No wonder God calls our faith precious. 
just like gold. It's, matter of fact, he says it's more precious than gold. I think about millions today. So many people, they, they have a church building. They're part of a denomination. But what, they're, what they don't have is a real faith. They're a part of something, but they don't have a real faith. A real church is a group of people bound together for a common faith, a faith that provides and promises hope, a faith that promises heaven, a faith as we go through the trials provides help. Peter, in verse 13 of this same book that we call 1 Peter, notice he gives a few words of instruction here as we think about this, enjoying the faith that we have. Look what he says in verse 13. All that we looked at tonight, and he, he begins with the word wherefore. And here's what he says. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Folks, I hope that you have a real faith because here's what's going to happen is someday you're going to be on the receiving end of that faith. And you know what you're going to receive? That hope will become a reality when you stand face to face with Jesus. It'll become a reality when you're standing in the presence of God in a place called heaven. But while we still live in this life, God is with us. And he's an ever-present help in a time of need. Thank God for the hope that we have because of the faith that we have in him. Would you bow your heads with me tonight? Lord, thank you as a church that we can celebrate you. Lord, I'm thankful that we have a faith to exercise. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Lord, I'm thankful tonight for the hope that we have. So many have no hope. So many have a misplaced, misguided hope. But Lord, we know that you are our hope. And Lord, we're thankful that although we're in this life, and we don't know how long it will be, Lord, you could come back tomorrow. But if not, Lord, we are here until the day that you call us home. What a day that will be. But while we're here, we are also so thankful to exercise our faith in you that while we're going through some trying times that you are our help lord jesus thank you again for all that you mean to us thank you for letting us be a part of your church in jesus name we pray would you stand